You know, people think darkness hides things. People will do things at night. They will do things in the darkness that they would never do in the daylight. They would never do where, where people are able to see them. The reality is whether it's light or dark, God still sees you. God is still there. God still knows. Those things that you do in private that you don't want anybody to ever know, God knows because he was there. He saw you in action. Uh, he knows everything about you. Hello and welcome to the Portland General Baptist Church Sunday School Podcast. What is theology? The word theology can seem intimidating at first, but all it really means is the study of God. Join us as we continue our Sunday School series entitled, Intro to Theology. Well, good morning and welcome to the second part of our Intro to Theology uh, series in our adult Sunday school class. If you have your Bibles today, turn to Psalm number 139. We're going to be centering most of our references in Psalm 139, the first 18 verses. And uh, just a reminder of last week, do not let the word theology throw you off. The word theology simply means the study of God. Theos means God is the study of. So we're looking at the personhood of God. Who is God? What is God? In today's session, we're going to look at the concept that God is mighty. God is mighty. In fact, you'll notice I'm wearing our Portland General Baptist shirt today uh, because, because it really fits in with the theme of this Sunday School lesson so well. Uh, and the quote on it is, Fear not from 2 Timothy 1.7. Well, why would we not fear? We don't fear because God is mighty. God's in control. He's sovereign. He's the one who is in charge. So today we're going to be looking at the concept, God is mighty, from Psalm 139, uh, verses 1 to 18. Uh, if you will uh, bow with me in a word of prayer, and we can invite the presence of the Spirit into our lesson today. Father, we love you today. We thank you for this opportunity once again to study your word. We ask now, O oh God, that you will inhabit the praises of your people. And Lord, that you will teach us so that we can grow and get closer to you. Make your word alive in our hearts. And we give you praise and honor for this through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. In Psalm 139, David addresses three major concepts of God's mighty power. Uh, that and, it, and, it's, and it's really nice to find all three of these concepts in one place so that we can break them down and talk about them and so on. I want to give you three words that you've probably heard. Uh, if you've been in church any, any length of time, you've heard preachers use these words and so on. Uh, the words are omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. I know you've heard those words. Even if you don't know what they mean, you've probably heard a preacher or teacher use those three words. Well, today we're going to look at those three concepts of God, that God is omnipotent, that he is omniscient, and that he is omnipresent. We're going to look at them centering on Psalm number 139, also running a few other references and so on. So if you have pencil and paper, you may want to jot these down as we're going through them, or you can always, you know, you know, go backward on the CD, find the references or on the video, and you can write them down and so on. But we're going to start off with the concept of this mighty God who is omnipotent. The word omnipotent simply means all power.
powerful. That's what it means. Omni means all. That's the first part, first part of omnipotent. Omni means all, and potence means powerful. So the word omnipotent simply means that God is all powerful. Now, I want to give you a concept, and this is where we get into a little bit deeper theology. Uh, because, you know, people hear, hear that God is all powerful, and they simply interpret that to mean that God just does anything he wants whenever he wants. Having total power does not mean he has unlimited power. Being omnipotent, all-powerful, does not mean that he has unlimited power. Uh, having unlimited power is not a biblical concept. He has all power, but, it, but, but the Bible never claims that he has unlimited power. You say, well, what's the difference, Dr. Roberts, between this all-powerful and unlimited powerfulness? What are you talking about? I want to illustrate it this way. I have a piece of paper in my hand. I think everybody would agree that I have the power to rip this piece of paper up. I can tear this piece of paper into shreds very easily. Any of you could do the same thing. I have the power to tear this piece of paper up. There's no denying. 100%, there's no doubt. I can wad it, twist it, tear it, whatever. However, I'm placing a limit on myself. I am limiting myself by saying, by making the claim, I will not tear up this piece of paper. In fact, I'm going to go one step further. Are you ready? I'm going to say, using my power, I am never going to tear this piece of paper up. I have the power to tear, the, tear up the piece of paper. But what I've just done is I've placed a limit on myself. I've limited my own power. I have the power, but I'm limiting my power. Why would I not tear up the piece of paper? I wouldn't tear up the piece of paper because this happens to be the notes I'm teaching from uh, in our session today. I kind of need them because there are some things on here I want to be able to say to you and make sure I get them all right and so on. Uh, so I don't want to tear up the piece of paper. My desire is to not tear up the piece of paper so I have my notes ready for you. So while I have the power to tear up the piece of paper, I have limited that power by not tearing up the piece of paper. The same is true when we look at the personhood of God. God is omnipotent. He has all power, all power everywhere. That's his character. However, he does not breach his character. And what I mean by that is that he has placed limits on himself that he never breaches because uh, if he breached those, uh, he wouldn't be what we would consider to be God. Uh, example would be Titus 1-2. In Titus 1-2, the Bible says God cannot lie. Now, it's not saying that the power is not there to do so. What it's really saying is that if the piece of paper is a lie, God's choosing not to do it. All right, not to tear it up. He's, made, he's putting a limit on himself. In James 1.13, the Bible says that God cannot do wrong or sin and that he cannot tempt others to do wrong as well. Those are limits he's placed upon his own power. Limits that match his character. God is a good God, a loving God. Jesus himself is the prime example of limiting power. Uh, I don't think anyone's going to disagree in this. And, and if you do disagree with this statement, then we need another Sunday school lesson to deal with this. Jesus is God. 
Uh, he's a member of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. When Jesus came to Bethlehem, he relinquished power. He relinquished power. In fact, from the writings of Paul, it's actually called the kenosis of Christ. It's the emptying. He emptied himself of his godly glory so that he could come to earth and be a man and live here for 33 years. What is that? It's a limit on his power. Uh, he limited himself uh, with his power. In fact, just before Jesus died, there's an interesting prayer. If you look at the prayer in the garden just before his crucifixion, notice what Jesus prayed to the Father. He said, restore or give me my glory that I had with you before the world began. So in other words, he had emptied himself of his glory, limiting his power. But knowing that he's going to die, be buried, and raised from the dead, he's like, it's time to restore me now to my normal state of being a member of the Trinity in heaven with all power. You know, you know give me my glory back again. So God is a God who is omnipotent. To say otherwise is heresy. He is an omnipotent God. But he's not an unlimited God. We can't place limits on him. We would never place limits on him. We don't have the ability to, taste, to, to, to place limits on him. But he has limited his own power. Now, why does he limit his own power? Uh, when we look at these concepts, I would say he limits his own power because of his own character, because who he is. He's a good God. But he also limits his power for us. Jesus coming to earth was him limiting his power for us. Uh, so that he could be the perfect sacrifice and die in our place. You know, I am very happy and pleased with the fact that God has limited his power. Because, you know, what if God chose to change his mind about us? What if he just chose to wipe out humanity all at once, everybody? Go back to before humans ever existed and just reverse time and say, I'm so sick of the human race, I'm going to wipe them all out. Well, does he have the power to do that? Yes, but he doesn't do that. He, prom he has made promises in his word, starting with Noah and forward. He's not doing that. He's not wiping everybody out. But, you know, what if he decided to? Uh, so he's limited himself and he limits himself for us. Now, whenever we say that, the omnipotence of God is one of the uh, hallmarks of the Christian faith. And it is, it is that hallmark that allows us as finite beings, as extremely limited beings, to put our trust into him. Uh, it is interesting. Uh, there's a guy that you may, and you can look this up on YouTube or whatever, Louis, Louis Giglio, if I pronounced it correctly, uh, who tried to illustrate the mightiness of God by showing us all the heavens and showing us how one star is bigger than another star, uh, so on and so forth, the massive, expansive universe, and so on. Uh, however, I don't, you know, David takes a very different approach. When we look at Psalm number 139, he takes a very different approach to prove the mightiness or the omnipotence or the all-powerfulness of God. Instead of going to the massive universe, David basically says, look in the mirror. Look at who you are. Look at the human body. Uh, he uses the human body as the example of God's mighty power. St. Augustine said once, and I'm quoting here, People travel to wonder at the height of the mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, 
at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. Do you understand the great, great creation that you are as a human being? That there is no possible way your body came into existence by chance. There is no possible way that uh, you are who you are today by just some process of what the scientists call to be evolution. In fact, George Gallup, uh, you all have heard of the Gallup polls. He said, I could prove God statistically. And I'm quoting here. He said, take the human body alone. The chance that all of the functions of the individual human being would just happen is a statistical monstrosity. I like the way he worded that. It, it basically is statistically impossible to have a human being develop a chance uh, to develop by some evolutionary process. That's not the way it happened. We are formed, we are created by the mind and the power of God. This is what David's telling us in Psalm number 139. When you look at verse number 13, the Bible says, For you have formed me in my, uh, you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. In other words, who did the forming of the human body? God did. When you go to verses 15 and 16, uh, he says, My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, God knows who you are, and God knows all there is about you. There are some interesting Hebrew words as we look at this, I just want to point out. The first one is the word you that we find back in verse 13 and goes on. The Hebrew pronoun for you used here is actually the emphatic pronoun. What does that mean? Uh, it's where the stress is put on it. If you ever looked at your you know, kids and so on and said, you do this. Talking specifically to one with that emphasis on the word you. You do this. That's exactly what David's doing in the Hebrew here. He says, for you have formed my inward parts. He's giving all credit and all glory to God. That there's no credit for us. That he's the one who did it all. His power is that mighty. And then he says the Hebrew word for frame in verses 15 and 16. My frame was not hidden from you. Literally means bones. Uh, and then he uses the phrase that his bones, his frame, were skillfully wrought. Now, a Hebrew reader of the text would see a picture here. The picture behind skillfully wrought is that of an embroiderer or a weaver uh, who is taking a tapestry and putting it together. God took every part of you and put it together. He gave you your two eyes. He gave you your nose. You know, as a father, when my son was born, I looked for 10 fingers and 10 toes. Uh, you know, that's the classic cliche. But I literally did. I counted his fingers and toes. But when you look at the human body, your heart, your lungs, your liver, who gave you all that? Who wove all of that together? Put it together. And that would be God himself. That's why in verse number 14, the Bible says, this is David saying, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Uh, so uh, anyway, I will praise you. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, God is the one who is responsible for that. Most of you have heard of DNA. You know what DNA is. You've, you know, it's, it's who makes you, it, it, it is what makes you what you are. 
Uh, it's, it, is, it is what determines if you're a redhead. Uh, I don't know what color of ugly looking hair I got, but whatever that color is, it's, the DNA is what made it that color. Uh, all of your physical traits are always determined by DNA. That's why if you have two identical twins, it means they have the very same DNA. Uh, and the little differences you see are simply, are simply environmental because their DNA is exactly the same. It's the building block of who we are. DNA was discovered by two scientists, Crick and Watson, Dr. Francis Crick and James Watson. And uh, those of you who are you know, younger, whatever you may, uh, you may have taken a biology class and you've heard those names. Well, Dr. Francis Crick, one of the discoverers of DNA, and he wasn't a Christian, but I like one of his quotes because it fits right in and it shows why he should be a Christian. Dr. Crick wrote, An honest man, armed with all the knowledge available to us now, could only state that in some sense, the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle. He says the origin of life, this is, this is the one who discovered the DNA molecule that makes us who we are, that the creation of human existence, that the creation of life itself is a miracle. I know the one who calls the miracle, God himself. He is a mighty God. He's an all-powerful God. And he's the one who formed us and who made us. He's the one who gives us the very breath that we breathe, the air, the air that we are breathing. Uh, all of that is credited to God. I mean, you think about the planet Earth, how they call that it's in the sweet zone uh, between, you know, Mars and the sun and so on. Other planets cannot sustain life. It's either too hot or too cold or, well, you, know, you, know, you know, there's no water, et cetera, et cetera. But the earth is in that sweet zone and has it all. It's more than any sweet zone, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we are the result of the creation of God. He, uh, you know, whenever you look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, it basically said, God said, and it happened. That's his power. Let there be light. And the very next part of that verse, the Bible says, and there was light. All right. So when God says it, he's using his power. It happens. That's the result of an omnipotent God, of an all-powerful God. That being said, I want to go to the second word. And that second word is omniscience. That God is omniscient. Now, just like the word omnipotent means all power. All right. Omni still means all. But sentia means to know. So omniscience literally means all-knowing. That God is not only all-powerful, though he limits himself, he's also all-knowing. Now, one of the classic mistakes for a lot of believers is they believe that God knows everything all the time. That's not biblically founded. Uh, God is all-knowing. But just like his omnipotence, God's Power is limited, just like I limited myself by not tearing up the piece of paper. I have the power to tear it up, but I chose not to. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing, but he also places limits there. The Bible bears out very strongly, both Old and New Testaments, that he places limits on his knowledge. Now you say, what? God limits his knowledge? He does. And we can bear it out. I'm going to give you several examples here, both Old, Old and New Testaments. And by the way, you ought to be happy he limits his knowledge because that really helps you out. Uh, the Bible says, this is Hebrews chapter 8, verse number 12. 
The Bible says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. He says that our sins and our iniquities, he's going to forget. He will, that's literally what remember no more means. He chooses to forget. Choosing to forget, remember, he's an omniscient God, to say otherwise is heresy. He's an omniscient God, but he's choosing to forget. Now, he's better than I am because sometimes I can't choose to forget. Has somebody done something to you? And uh, to this day, as much as you've prayed and you've tried to forgive and so on, you can't forget. And whenever a similar situation develops or whatever, have you ever gotten just instantly angry because you couldn't forget it? My God, who's all-powerful, who's also omniscient, who's all-knowing, has the ability to choose to forget, to choose to take the knowledge away. He says, I will remember no more. Now, some, some say that that means, well, he's just not going to think about it anymore. Uh-uh. He literally says he will not remember. In other words, it's not, it is no longer part of his thought process. He's limiting his knowledge. Now, there are those people who will disagree with my interpretation of that. That's okay. But when we look, whenever we combine that with other scriptures, rightly dividing the word... What you find is, is that God has limited his knowledge on more than one occasion. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 52, we have the childhood of Jesus. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, and Jesus grew to be 33 years of age, at which time he was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. Most of what we know about Jesus happens in the last three years of his life with his public ministry. But we only get a few glimpses of Jesus uh, from the age of zero to the age of 30. We only have a couple of glimpses. And what we have in Luke, Luke 2.52 is one of those glimpses. Now, before I read this, let me say it. Jesus is God. He's absolutely God. Part of the Trinity. We have, we, we, we've already established that he laid down part of his power, part of his glory to come to earth and be a 100% human being as well as being 100% God. He gave up part of his godly glory, which was restored to him after, after his resurrection. Here we find he's giving up part of his knowledge as well. Because in Luke 2.52, the Bible says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Wait a minute. He grew in wisdom. How can God grow in wisdom? If he already has it all, then how does he grow in wisdom? He doesn't. If Jesus had chosen to know something, then he would have instantly known it, and he's not growing in wisdom, it's already there. I'm reminded of Jesus whenever he was surrounded by the crowd, and the woman with the issue of blood touched him. And uh, what is it Jesus said? Who touched me? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Who touched me? Why is he looking around saying, who touched me? He's God, doesn't he already know? So why, why is he asking the question in the first place? It's because he limited his knowledge. It's not that he couldn't know. He's God. He can, God can choose to know anything he wants to know at any time. But he makes those choices, A, because of his own character, and B, out of protection for us. We find in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 22, we know the story of Abraham getting ready to sacrifice, uh, sacrifice his young son Isaac on the altar. 
And uh, just as he's bringing up the knife, the angel of the Lord, who's literally the Lord, stops him from killing his son. But whenever you read that, notice what God said. This is Genesis 22, verse number 12. He said, this is God. Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Now I know that you fear God. Wait a minute. What do you mean now I know? You didn't know before? How, how is it that God is discovering that Abraham uh, was willing to sacrifice Isaac? It's because God placed a limit on his knowledge. It's not that he couldn't know. He chose not to know. Just like I choose not to tear up the piece of paper, he chooses not to know. Genesis, just back up a few chapters to Genesis 18. Going to verse 21, this is the uh, evil of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And looking at those cities, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were so evil. Of course, we know what happened. We know that God sent fire out of heaven, destroyed the cities. We know about Lot's wife who was changed into a pillar of salt. That's the story we've had from Sunday school uh, for years past. But there's something interesting in this story in, in Genesis 18:21, where this is what God says. I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. If not, I will know. Now, for those people who want to say he knows everything all the time, that is a really weird verse. Why does God have to go discover if what he has heard is true or false? It's because he's placed a limit there. Now, he only knows the reasons why he places certain limits on certain knowledge. I, am, I don't know the mind of God, and my finite mind cannot comprehend it. But I do know biblically, oh, and I've given you several examples, God several times places limits on his knowledge. He chooses not to know certain things. Although this is not a denial of his omniscience. He has the power to know anything at any time, just like I have the power to tear up the piece of paper at any time. I'm choosing not to tear it up. God, in this case, is choosing not to know. Now, some, you know, some have asked, well, why, why would God not know? A, because of, its, of his character. My personal belief, and this is something I'll find out when I get to heaven, just like you'll find out stuff when you get to heaven. I believe part of that not knowing is because God is protecting our free moral agency. He's protecting our right to choose. While he is a sovereign God who's totally in control, uh, we are not puppets on the string. And he's given us freedom of choice, freedom to serve him or not to serve him. And I believe God limits his knowledge just to help us in that particular scenario. But as I said, that's something we, we will find out sometime in the eternity future. Uh, right now, as Paul said, we're just looking through the glass darkly. And sooner or later, we'll see him face to face. Now... That being said, do not let this dishearten you. God knows, or has, has the power to know anything he chooses. And trust me when I say he knows enough about you and enough about me to make sure that we are taken care of as his children. His knowledge is not lacking when it comes to us. He's, his knowledge is not lacking when it, whenever it comes to me. 1 John chapter 3 verse number 20 says, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. God is greater than our heart. He knows all things. He knows everything he chooses to know about me and that he chooses to know about you. Abraham Lincoln once said, you can fool some people, uh, you can fool people some of the time, 
And you can fool uh, other people all the time. But you can't fool all of the people all the time. I'm going to add to that and simply say you can't fool God any of the time. God's knowledge is plenty for anything you would ever, ever need. Uh, I'm reminded of an illustration uh, that, uh, and this is, by the way, I, want, I wanted to get it right. That's why I put it in my notes. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not tearing up the piece of paper. I'm reminded of an illustration of a courtroom case. Small town prosecuting attorney was trying a case and he called as his first witness an elderly woman who lived in the town and who happened to be the nosiest gossip in all the town. He went up to her and he said, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she said, why, yes, I know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a young boy. He smiled and then she went on. And frankly, you've been a big disappointment. You lie, you cheat on your wife, you actually manipulate people, you talk about them behind their backs, you charge far too much money, and you don't have the brains to realize you're never going to amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Wow. So, he's thoroughly embarrassed in court, and he's stunned and so on, so he's trying to change the situation, and he says, well, do you know the defense attorney? And then she goes on, and she goes, well, yeah, I know him too. Mr. Bradley, uh, I've known him since he was a youngster. In fact, I used to babysit him for his parents. Uh, he's been a tremendous disappointment to me too. He's lazy. He has a drinking problem. He cheated his way through law school. He can't find any woman that will actually marry him. And he's one of the most crooked lawyers in the state. Yeah, I know him. All of a sudden, the gavel goes down. Gavel goes down from the judge. And he calls the two lawyers up to him. And he says, in a very stern voice, if either of you ask her about me, I will throw you both in jail. And so everything went quiet at that point because the judge was scared she might know some stuff on him that he did not necessarily want public. Ladies and gentlemen, that's just a human illustration. But it's a human illustration uh, that kind of shows God knows everything. He knows our secrets. He knows the things we would never, ever want anybody else to ever know. He knows us completely. Verse 1 of, the, of our psalm says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. God knows our character. God knows who we are on the inside. He knows if we're saved or lost. He knows if we've given our hearts to Him. He knows our character. He knows what we think about. He knows our contemplations. Verse number two, you know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. Even though God's in heaven, He knows what we think about. You know, there are things that we think about that we never tell anybody. Have you ever looked at someone and thought in your mind, Please don't come up to me. I don't want to talk to you. Please don't come up to me. And then that person comes up to you. Well, hi there, brother. Hi there, sister. How are you? And what do you do? You put the smile on your face. You put the facade on. Well, hi, how are you? But deep down inside, you were thinking, no, 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 no. But the answer was yes, 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 yes. That person may have never known that you were faking it. Do you think God knows you were faking it? Yes, he does. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motivations. He knows who you are. Everything you do. Uh, Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. God knows everything. Of course, he does know our conversation. Verse number 4 of Psalm uh, says, For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows what you say. Uh, and he knows your motivation behind what you say. The whole point is, 
while the theology of God is that God is omniscient, we also realize he places limits on his omniscience. But don't worry about the limits that he places. Those limits do not hurt us. Everything he does, he does for our benefit because we're part of the family. He is our God. He is our great king. We can cry, Abba, Father, which is Daddy. He is the one who is totally in charge of us and, and is able to sustain us. The last word that I want to cover today, and I'm going to cover this briefly. I know I've been going a little long. Is that God is omnipresent. Omni again means all. Present means everywhere. So God is everywhere. Now, yes, he places a limit there too. Uh, and that limit is one that you will see uh, whenever you get to heaven and uh, you're in eternity with, you know, you are in eternity with God. Those who are lost, the Bible says, hell and death are cast into the lake of fire. And then the Bible says, this is the second death. The word death means separation. So the second death, when death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, what that literally means is they are separated from the presence of God. So the one place we know God is not, of course, you know, right now we don't have the lake of fire. We have simply hell, but which will be cast into the lake of fire, book of Revelation. But God does not exist in the lake of fire. Uh, it is the second death. So he's limited his presence there because all evil will, will be banished from his presence for all of eternity. Uh, everything evil goes to the lake of fire and then he will no longer worry about those who are there. He, they are totally out of his presence. However, that's not the here and now. That's not us today. Verse 7 of our psalm says, Where can I go from your spirit? Oh, where can I flee from your presence? You can't. There's nowhere you can go that God's not there. Uh, he goes on saying in verse number 8, If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. The word hell in this case is the Hebrew word shell, which means grave. Which means if I live, you're there. If I die, you're there too. Living or dead, God is presence. Distance cannot separate you from God because God is everywhere. Verses 9 and 10. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Doesn't matter what country you go to, where you go, even if you travel in outer space, if you're the next one to walk on the moon or if you're the first one on Mars or whatever, God is there. You do not get away from the presence of the Lord. Uh, I have had the privilege to take students to Europe uh, several times. Um, you know, I've gone most of the major countries in Europe. England, France, Spain, Germany, Italy, Greece. Uh, I've taken students to various, various countries. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest. Because I'm taking students and because of the money involved, we always ride coach. I want to ride first class. You know, I want, I want that seat where I can stretch out and I can enjoy my trip. I don't ever get to stretch out. I'm usually in the middle seat, sitting like all scrunched up, all whatever, and, you know, someone touching me on both sides. And, you know, if, if you travel from here to Rome, it's an 11, 12-hour trip. And you're going all scrunched up for 11 to 12 hours. But I always like it when I get a window seat. Uh, I like the window seat when we take off and when we land. The window seat, wherever you are that high up, uh, the window seat, you don't really see that much when you're at 40,000 feet or whatever. Uh, everything, you know, whatever. But it's really interesting when you look out the window 
and you see the clouds, and instead of the clouds being way up, way up above you, they're way down below you. You see the clouds from the top. Um, and uh, it's always an amazing thing because you always think the clouds are so high until you're in the jet plane going to wherever and you realize the clouds are not that high at all, that they're really far down below you. Uh, the Bible in Psalm 104.3 says, He makes His clouds His chariot, and He walks on the wings of the wind. Even there, even if you are above the clouds, uh, the clouds are His chariot. You don't have to worry about it. God is still there. Uh, God's in that airplane with you. I had an, I had an aunt uh, who always says, I will never fly because it's against the Bible to fly. And I said, why is it against the Bible to fly? And she said, because the Bible says, lo, I'm with you always. Not high, but low. And of course, you know, it was a joke. She was taking it out of context. Uh, but the reality is, he's with you in the clouds. He's with you above the clouds. He's with you everywhere. You cannot get away from the presence of God. Even darkness does not separate you from the presence of God. Verses 11 and 12. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide me from you. But the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. You know, people think darkness hides things. People will do things at night. They will do things in the darkness that they would never do in the daylight. They would never do where, where people are able to see them. The reality is whether it's light or dark, God still sees you. God is still there. God still knows. Those things that you do in private that you don't want anybody to ever know, God knows. Because he was there. He saw you in action. Uh, he knows everything about you. Ladies and gentlemen, we serve a mighty God. And we're in this time of crisis with the COVID crisis. And although we're trying to open up a little bit and so on, some of the doctors are warning us about that, saying, wait a minute, it's still possible to get this virus. You don't, you don't want to be out with major crowds and stuff uh, and so on. And people have different opinions about this. How much should I socialize? How much should I not? How much social distancing is appropriate for me? And I've, I've read the debates on Facebook. I've heard the debates with my family and friends and so on. And I'm not getting into all that. What I do know is that God is the one who's ultimately in control. And he's the one who helps me through everything. Fear not, our shirt, our, our, our shirt says. And that's why I'm wearing it. Because I serve a mighty God. Uh, if I were to get COVID, I serve a mighty God. Even if I died with COVID... I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So I have nothing to fear. Uh, COVID is one of the possibilities for me to leave the world. Now, right now, I don't have anything. I don't want anything. And, and my prayer is that I don't get it. And I'm sure that's your prayer as well. But we serve a mighty God that regardless of the situation, regardless of COVID or no COVID or anything else, God is the one who has the power and the knowledge and the ability and the presence to take care of us. And so today is supposed to reassure your faith. Keep your trust in God. Fear not. Keep your trust in God. For God is the one who's in control. Have a wonderful, blessed week. We hope you enjoyed, were enriched, educated, and edified by this lesson from our adult Sunday school class. Each week, these Sunday school lessons are made available in video and audio formats. If you want to watch our weekly sermon and Sunday school videos, you can find them on our YouTube channel. Just subscribe to the channel and be sure to hit the notification bell so that you're notified when a new video is posted. For audio, 
You can subscribe to our podcast on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and others. You can also find these audio recordings on our website free to download. Just visit www.portlandgbc.org. That's www.portlandgbc.org. Until next time, stay safe and may God bless you.